1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam School, joined, as always, by Paul Tenoria. We have a big show today. Lots to discuss. MLS teams are rampaging through the CONCACAF Champions League. Not a sentence that anyone has literally ever said before in human history. i so excited to talk about that. Um, MLS TV ratings, n- not quite as positive a story. Paul has some thoughts there. I don't know what they are, but he's told me that he's prepared to rant. So we're going to get to that. Uh, later in the show, and then a few other things, just kind of impressions of some of the ha- things happening around the league, maybe some talk about Charlotte FC, and one item that we didn't really hit in our discussion about our anonymous survey of team executives from last week, but one, one topic that they discussed pretty in-depth was, was league transfers. Uh, they don't exist currently. Uh, a lot of people would like to see them exist, so we'll talk a little bit about that as well, but we're starting with CCL, Paul. And, like I said, pretty, I mean, it's only one leg. But MLS teams have gotten off to a fantastic start in the quarterfinal round. Tuesday night, New York City FC got things going with a 3-1 win over Comunicaciones in East Hartford, Connecticut, because Yankee Stadium is not approved by CONCACAF for CCL play. Um, so they played a home game in Hartford in front of, I think, 12 to 15,000 Guatemalan fans. Um, so that was an interesting, unique environment, but, but they got the win, uh, Seattle, I think for me, I mean, we're splitting hairs, but for me, probably the most impressive result of, of the first legs, absolutely throttled Leon three, nothing, uh, Cristiano Roldan, immense performance, Freddie Montero with a couple of goals. And then Wednesday night, New England continued the theme, beating Pumas at Gillette stadium in some miserable looking weather. 3 nothing. Adam Buxa scoring a couple of goals. Carles Gil having a big game. And then the, the final match of, of the first round of the quarterfinals was not a win for MLS, but it sort of felt like one, maybe. Montreal lost 1-0 at the Azteca against Cruz Azul. Um, they were outshot something like 19-1, to so escaping only down one goal, heading into the second leg up in Canada next week, has to count as, as something of a victory. For them so i mean paul we, we there's i think a lot of angles to attack this but what are kind of your biggest takeaways here understanding that these series are not over by any means um and that leg two is still to come next week
2: well i think there's two things i felt going into this tournament that there were two mls teams primed to make a real run and i think they had structured their rosters with that in mind and that's the two two of the teams that we've seen perform well so far, which is NYCFC and Seattle. The moment NYCFC didn't sell Tati Castellanos, it became, you know, part of the discussion that this team has the talent and has the ability and has the makeup to go and be competitive in the CONCACAF Champions League. And similarly, Seattle kind of added to an already loaded roster. And, you know, a very experienced roster, one with with players who have competed in CONCACAF Champions League before, with veteran players like Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, Raul Rui Diaz, Nico Lodero, Who, those last two, by the way, didn't even play. Right against Leon, the and but what what happened when they didn't play? I mean, Christian Roldan stepped up in a big way, playing on the right wing. Um, you know they they get they they have guys again. We, we talked about Roldan last episode and how much MLS GMs love him. You see why he he knew what he needed to be in that game for Seattle, and he was that. You know he he understands the what the game calls for from him and whatever role he's in. But I think regardless, those two teams were set up to be competitive. And then I think the other thing is we have to acknowledge that when you looked at across the bracket and you looked at which Mexican teams were in this competition, it felt like it was setting up for if the, if there was going to be a year, this is going to be the year. I mean, the, the, the typical teams that we're used to seeing when champions league are not in the competition at this stage
1: no and weren't in the competition period right this time around right, right. no tigres right. no club america no Monterrey, um not even chivas right cruz azul obviously a big club in mexico but i think it's fair to say they're probably a notch below at least three of those clubs i just named probably four um at least in terms of i don't know size whatever you want to call it Um, (laughs) so yeah, I think that's an element of this and and that's not us hating on MLS because these teams deserve credit. I think it helps the schedule being a little bit different, right? And these teams being able to go into it at the very, very end of preseason, playing their first round of 16 match just a couple of days before the MLS opener. That's something that we've never seen before in this competition. and, And I think that makes a huge, huge difference. But to your point about Seattle and NYCFC, I mean, these teams are deep. I think they're the two best rosters in the league. Um, Maybe Atlanta has some high-end talent, but I don't think they have the depth that these two squads have. And you've seen that, right? You mentioned Seattle. No Ladero, no Rui Diaz. Freddie Montero comes in, does a great job. Obed Vargas, the 16-year-old from Alaska, coming out of nowhere, off to a really good start this season.
2: And with no Ladero, you put Rusnak into the lineup, who wasn't great, but...
1: He's still a qual- quality player, yeah, right? So I mean, I don't know, I made that prediction before the season started the uh, the old nuts on the table prediction. Yeah, yeah it's looking that, good now that an MLS team would win CCL and that two MLS teams would make the final. And when the way it's shaping up, I feel pretty good about that. Seattle and NYCFC should they advance, and they should, they absolutely should, either one failing to get to the semifinal after their performances in the first leg, would be a really, really, really big disappointment and failure, for that matter. Um, but if they advance, they would face each other, uh, which would be a fantastic matchup. I would, I would definitely be going to that game in New York. I would maybe be pitching going to one in Seattle, too. <laughs> I don't know if the editors would be cool with that. Brooks and Alex, if you're listening, just, you know, think on it. Um, and then, of course, New England and Montreal on the other side of the bracket, I think New England certainly are now the favorites to advance. Weird things do happen. They're going to have to go play in Mexico City against Pumas. So, you know, it's not over by any means. But I I would, I would, that matchup against Cruz Azul potentially um, would be a really fascinating one. And I think a really good one. We saw Uriel Antuna have a big game for them last night. Former LA Galaxy player against Montreal getting the goal. Um, but they should have won by a few goals. They had a ton of chances and Sebastian Breza made a few big saves for the impact. Yeah, that's right. I did that on purpose. Um, <laughs> and um, so yeah, I I don't know. I feel pretty good, Paul. I feel pretty good about New England and one of new NYC or Seattle making it to the final.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. That's the the key for you is New England taking care of business, both in the second leg and in in the, the semis. But Bruce Arena. You know, this is a tournament coach. Yeah, I mean, he knows how to win games in the playoffs. He knows how to win games in in tournaments. Well, he did in two thousand and two. Sure. Well, he did. His teams have won. He won MLS Cups with DC United. He won MLS Cups with the Galaxy. You know, he understands that the knockout structure is a little bit different than sure. And and I think it, you know the world needs Bruce Arena at the Club World Cup. I think Matt
1: Doyle tweeted that last <laughs> night, and I agree a hundred percent. I hadn't even thought of that. I think that's absolutely correct. Credit though. to Matt Doyle. I think it was oh. Matt Doyle who tweeted that. But like, yeah, I'm living for that moment. That that oh, possibility. My God. You know, I need him to go against go against Pep. Either that or, or, or Nagelsmann. I either or need Carlo I need Bruce
2: Arena against Pep, or I need Brian Schmetzer against Pep. That's 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 just all I need.
1: Man, ugh, why not both? Yeah. Let's just have the Sounders win it find one a year. way the win one yeah. another. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just do I, both.
2: I am going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer, Sam. And oh. that my fear is that if, comes. if an MLS team wins Champions League this year, that Don Garber and the MLS brass are going to start saying, see, we told you everything is fine. We are becoming the better league in, in this region. We are more than competitive as the structure of the rules exist today. And we don't need to change anything. Ah. And the, my, my fear about that is, you know, this is one tournament. And so, you need to see results over time. And a lot of the GMs that we spoke to spoke about this and said, "Can we asked the question? Can they be competitive? Can MLS be competitive in League's Cup?" And their point was, "Yes, we can be competitive, and we have a couple teams who can absolutely challenge for a title, um, especially in knockout competitions." But if we were to put any MLS team in Liga Mekis for a whole season, they they wouldn't win the league. And the goal has to be that we have the best teams that that would win the league, right? If there was a, a, a merger that you could say, hey, Seattle is the favorite or NYCF is the favorite. So it's a huge, like, again, you it's have to win unfair. one, you have to win once in order to win twice, right? So I'm not trying to take away from what's being accomplished now. And like I said, NYCFC have gone for it, right? I have no problem with the way they built their roster in the sense of like their spending and their... Bringing in good players, Seattle has always been very efficient in how they use the money that they get. You, from I think their you can ownership. say the same for New England. This New iteration. England has been spending money since Bruce Arena arrived. So yes, when you spend money, when you're maxing out your DPS, when you're doing a good job with, and look, they built differently. Bruce Arena leaning on high level MLS guys to to make up that rosters. So guys like Sebastian Legette, guys like Matt Polster, guys like you get guys overperforming their numbers like Matt Turner um like the rookies on the you know the, the they're no longer rookies but you know Brandon Bye, Dewan Jones that's that's kind of the Bruce Arena model and then you've got Seattle who also had had some guys that outperformed their
1: contracts no longer sure, right every got every MLS, every good MLS team has to have those but I I do think that what you were saying is a little unfair, honestly, because I I, d- I do think MLS has made some progress relative to League MX. They're not all the way there yet, right? But you're not gonna you're not gonna make a huge jump. In I'm not six denying months or twelve months. I'm not denying that they made progress.
2: That's not my concern. I I have no problem. I'm happy to see this happening. I'm not rooting against MLS. My concern is the messaging from the league after this and the way it will not just publicly, by the way. But in the board meetings with the owners, to say we don't yeah. need to change anything,
1: everything is just fine the way it is. No, you need you need to keep pushing, right? You, you need know, to keep and pushing. and that's what's going to happen.
2: They're going to look at it and they're going to say we don't need to change anything. I don't. That's know. my concern.
1: I don't know that that's going to happen because I think there are a few things. One, everyone knows what you said earlier and what we said, what I said earlier, that these are not the top Mexican teams. They're not, right? They qualified for Champions League this year, but these aren't the big boys. This isn't Tigres or Monterey or America, right? These aren't the highest spenders in League MX. So, so that's, that's part of it, right? But Does I do everyone think, know that? Do you, think, do you think every owner in MLS knows that? I don't know if every owner. The league office certainly does. And, and I think the GMs definitely do. Now the right? GMs don't matter
2: for this conversation. The well, GMs don't matter.
1: Fair. They live in a, a different world. But yeah, I do think most people know that. Yes, anyone that actually pays attention would know that. Um, so, and thus my concern. <laughs> all right, fair enough. I do think it would be fair for MLS to brag if they do end up winning Champions League. Sure, I, I do think it would be fair for them to say, "Hey, we are making progress." Because to me, it like this off season, and I've said this and I've written this, it feels like something changed a little bit this winter, one hundred percent. And and that's cool and that's good. Um, but to your point, that the takeaway can't be okay. We're good, but I don't think it will be, man. I hope I the think takeaway is
2: what you have kind of said, which is we've made a leap in this last transfer window. We are players now in the global market. Yeah. We are improving. We yeah. added more ways to spend money and it's working. Well, I don't want to jump to that conclusion yet, but we... I don't even think the league would jump to that teams, conclusion. To you teams who soon. are spending are, being, are more competitive. Are there ways that we can continue on this path to continue that progress. I hope that is the takeaway. My fear is that it will not be the takeaway. My hope is that it is. And they should brag if they win this, they should lift that trophy high. Every person who has covered this league, who has rooted for this league, who has watched this league has wanted a chance to, to say MLS did it especially because of the rivalry that exists between the U.S. and Mexico. And at a time when the U.S. has beat Mexico three times in a row to add MLS beating Liga MX in the CONCACAF Champions League, it will set off t- true levels of panic south of the border, which will be interesting to see what, what happens kind of from the Mexican side of things. But yeah, of course, th- they deserve the bragging rights. That's what this is all about. I'm just, again, and I and I would be happy to see NYCFC rewarded and Seattle rewarded or New England rewarded. Or of course, even if Montreal pulled off upsets, of course,
1: Mon- but Montreal, the only team from this group to make a CONCACAP final. By yeah.
2: The way. Never forget, you know, what an amazing game that was, by the way, uh, Frank Klopas with the hip thrusts. Uh, I'm, I'm mind blanking now on the Princeton kid, Cameron Porter, Cam Porter scoring that goal. The, the, the noise that was made when he scored that goal. I hope Cam Porter is at the return leg, uh, for for this quarterfinal i hope they i hope they fly him (laughs) him
1: out yeah i agree bring bring back frank Klopas too i know he's working for the fire as an assistant (laughs) coach but but bring him out too why not at least do it at least do a hype video montage situation just have him wave a sweater over his head you know yeah for sure um okay so I, i think we're mostly on the same page here you you are a little bit more concerned about what the response would be than i am um but we'll see if that's that would be a nice problem for MLS And again, to
2: have. it's not about external reaction, Sam. It's more about the internal reaction, the conversations that are happening at the board meetings. I hope, you know, mlssoccer.com is just splashed with the trophy and celebrating and all of that. Good, publicize it. It'll help drive fans. This is what we're talking about. Yeah, Being competitive against Mexico brings in new fans, starts to close that perception gap. I do think MLS is at a higher level than what most casual sports fans think MLS is at. This would help close a little bit of that perception gap.
1: Yeah. By all means, push it, casual, push it, push it. I don't think casual sports fans are know what the CONCACAF Champions League is. It doesn't matter. You just <laughs> say
2: we we beat Mexico. and they, they understand that. And I'm not even talking about just casual sports fan. I'm talking about people who watch the U S national team and hate Sebastian Legend and Paul Ariola being on it because they play in MLS. Like you can start to pull a little, a few of those people with these types of wins. That's all fine and dandy. And I hope that happens. And I hope that's how they approach it. It's about what happens at the BOG meetings, what the discussions are at the product strategy committee. You know, that's what I'm concerned about. Not, not the public facing side.
1: Fair enough. Um, That would be a good concern to have. MLS still has a long way to go in this tournament. It's only the midway point of the quarterfinal round. So lots of soccer left to be played. I'm sure there will be lots of chaos left to unfold all across the continent. Three of the four MLS teams, you know, the ones that won, they all played at home. That's worth noting here. So Seattle has to go down to Leon. New England has to go down to Mexico City. NYCFC has to go down to Guatemala. Montreal, the only one coming back and hosting. Leg two, So, you know, things could get a little crazy, but the four MLS teams, all four of them, even Montreal, are in good position heading into the second leg to advance to a semifinal. And Paul, dare I say it, an all MLS semifinal, an all MLS final four, it's not out of the question, which would be wild. The, the reaction from Mexico to that would be insane. That would be a really fun day of tabloid headlines south of the border um with that let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll have some ratings talk and paul is gonna go crazy i'm I'm hyping this up you better deliver dude
3: this show needs a rant it's been a while it has been (laughs) all right stay with us looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to
1: Allocation Disorder. Here we go, folks. Drum roll, please. It's almost rant time. Before we dive into that, let me give a little bit of background info. Set this up with some context. There was a tweet that went out, when was this? Tuesday from LW Johnson at Helltown Beer. That went a little bit viral in American soccer Twitter, uh, and the tweet was MLS on ESPN Sunday, chronological by program is something else, and it's it's a bar graph of the ratings for ESPN's entire schedule for Sunday, and the MLS match comes in at one hundred and fifty four thousand viewers, which is roughly three hundred and seventy thousand fewer than the women's college basketball game that immediately preceded it and roughly 300,000 fewer than the NBA pregame show that immediately followed it um it was the lowest rated program of the entire day between 7 a.m and 10 p.m um that includes the 7 a.m sports center which was watched by 110,000 more people than watched the MLS match between and who was this between i can't even remember austin and miami there we go it was a blowout, this game. Um, shout out to Austin. Off to a great start to the year, by the way. Uh, people were basically actively changing the channel when MLS came on and then changing it back when the game ended. That's not good. Um, a little bit more context and a little bit not more Not just a few numbers. people. About
2: 300,000 people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's It's just, you know, we've talked a lot about this on this show, but... It's a similar story so far this season. You know, the average viewership from the eight nationally televised matches that we have numbers for, there's one missing, which is the SKC Houston game from this past weekend that was on two-day NA. But the average viewership is two hundred and seventy-nine thousand. And and that's about in line with what the average viewership was in 2021. But two of those matches were on Big Fox, which and neither of those games, Charlotte against, against the Galaxy from this past weekend and Portland against New England on opening day, neither of those cracked the 500,000 mark. And that's, that's bad. That's way below what Fox would expect in that time slot normally. So it's, I mean, I don't know. We've talked about this so much, Paul. It's depressing. It's uh, a bad omen for the next TV deal. a Bad sign. Um, but hey, man, go ahead. Let loose. What do you think about this? Well,
2: first of all, I want to start by saying that I, I actually believe in some ways that if MLS comes in with a TV deal well below what they should have, that, that could be it could be similar to what U.S. soccer went through by missing the World Cup in 2018, a wake-up call to change. We've we've debated the chicken and the egg long enough, and I think ultimately what we're seeing here with these TV numbers, and this, this there are three things that I think we should take away from what these t- TV numbers are and and where they could go. The first is, there's two of them that MLS can control, and one that they can't. The first is, the product's not good enough. Okay? What MLS doesn't realize, or maybe never accounted for, is that we've seen the, the popularity of soccer grow and continue to grow in this country. Soccer. Not MLS. Soccer. And because of that growing popularity in soccer, these fans have access to the Premier League, to the Bundesliga, to Liga MX, to the Championship, to La Liga, to Champions League, to Champions, Champions, League, Champions League, to all of these different to the U.S. national teams and World Cup qualifiers. And what MLS, I think, has, you know, ignored or maybe hasn't paid enough attention to is that these fans are discerning enough to know the difference in quality, to recognize the difference in quality and to choose what they want to watch based on the difference in quality. Until MLS acknowledges that, until they recognize that parity or competitive balance is not the only thing that matters. Competitive balance matters for the fans you already have. Being a better product matters for the fans you want to bring in. Until MLS recognizes that and says, okay, we have to change the way we operate in order to make the product better, I don't think these numbers are going to change very much. That takes me to the second tier of this rant. The partners of of Major League Soccer have essentially balked at the idea of force-feeding fans stories and narratives that compel people to watch that otherwise wouldn't be interested in watching. I understand why they don't feel the need to do that. The numbers tell them we're not going to devote time or space or energy into promoting this league that isn't interested itself in improving the product and thus, you know, is essentially telling us to treat it the way we should treat it, which is to give it airtime, you know, put some shows on ESPN Plus and move on. But people watch sports for more than just the games. If you want larger audiences, you need to tell them what they're watching, why they should care, who are the characters. There's evidence of this across all media, newspapers, magazines, television. Maybe the most prominent example in recent memory is F1, the Netflix show that's so popular that's turned their numbers around on television because people are tuning in to watch the characters that they got to know on the Netflix show the races haven't changed the TV product is the same but people care about the characters that they've got to know in this behind the scenes show and so now they have a reason to tune in they know what's happening behind the scenes they understand which driver could move where which drivers don't like each other which team owners don't like each other and and managers The drama has made them watch the race. The same thing existed when I was at the Orlando Sentinel and starting to build Orlando City coverage for the Sentinel. We were telling stories about that team and the newspaper was putting them on A1, on the front page of the whole paper. And I was getting handwritten letters from older subscribers of the Sentinel telling me, stop writing about soccer and putting it on the front page of my newspaper. I don't want to read it. Put it on D4, the fourth page of sports where I can ignore it. And eventually, as we continued to force feed them and tell these stories about people that were compelling or different about Kaká and who he was or about Tommy Redding from Orlando or whatever those stories were, or even just the narrative of the season, the difficulties Orlando City was going through with injuries, those letters started to change. There were actually people saying, writing in to say, thank you for your continued coverage. I would never have paid attention if I didn't get to know this kid or this player. That's at a very micro level. You have to tell the stories. On ESPN, there has been a massive commitment, and and Fox for that matter, to debate shows. Why? Because those shows make more people watch the games because you're creating drama. You're creating narratives that make people tune in. That doesn't, MLS isn't discussed there. The people who do those shows don't know enough about soccer or care enough about soccer. And when they do talk about it, They talk about it in a dismissive way or an uneducated way that has the opposite effect. And my last thing here is, on that note of the lack of narrative storytelling, the lack of in-depth storytelling about this league, the league itself doesn't really do a great job of embracing that. When you tell—I don't think they do a good enough job of embracing that. I think that they've pushed back on our coverage when it's not positive— and I think that there could be some steps that they could do better. I like. I think to myself, would they ever allow Netflix to do a behind-the-scenes show with as much editorial control as F1 has? I would say no. So there are ways to think about it, but ultimately, that's not totally in their control. They have to find a way to get those partners to feel compelled enough to do it. And the best way to do that is to make your product better. That's my rant. I know I went a long time, Sam. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to sip some coffee.
1: I'll let you disagree and react. So a few things. One, I'm not sure how much changing the product or improving the product will improve television ratings. Like, I really don't know. Um, I don't know if the average viewer is that discerning. I don't know if you jump up from the 10th best league in the world to the 8th best league in the world if that makes any difference i think if you move past mexico like consistently and over a long or relatively long multiple years period of time then you can start to grab some of the fans that are making liga amaki so the most watched league in the united states and, and turn them more into bigger mls fans or mls fans period or people that are watching the league more So I'm not saying it doesn't make any difference at all, but I don't know how much of a huge difference it's going to make. So that's one. Um, Two, to your last point uh, about Netflix and would the league allow that sort of thing, I think they absolutely would. Like, absolutely. But this is sort of where the problem comes in. It's like, MLS can scream and kick and claw and scratch all the night long to try and get those things. But the problem that they run into is those media companies, some of which broadcast the games are like, well, look at your numbers. Why would we want to do that? It doesn't justify it. Right. We can't, we can't rationalize putting these resources, whether it's time or manpower or money or even a broadcast slot, whatever into doing this big production of, you know, a drive to survive. Or I think that was the name of the F1 show. Um, Type of show or even a pregame show a proper studio show for MLS um, when 150,000 people watch it's just not worth it and and so I don't know I don't know how the league solves for it 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 goes back to the chicken and egg thing and I, I guess what you have to do is is you have to try and improve the thing that you can control fully Right, which is your quality of play. But again, to my earlier point, I don't know how much that really makes, makes a jump for you. So it's a difficult problem, Paul, and I'm not really sure how you, how you fix it. I think it would be better to have a partner on the broadcast side that is more invested than ESPN and Fox have been. Um, I think Univision has been pretty invested in terms of kind of the shoulder programming that they do and the content that they put out about MLS outside of games. But Fox and ESPN don't do anything, like nothing. Right? Which, I, I under, again, I understand. The ratings don't justify it. Right? But I remember all the way back to the previous TV deal when NBC Sports was was a broadcast partner. And they treated the league sort of like how they treat the Premier League now. Right? You were doing legit pregame shows. You had people on site at most games for pre and postgame shows. It, the production looked good. You had shoulder pro separate shoulder programming i remember i was working at rsl at the time mls 36 do you remember this do you remember the show
2: i don't no
1: okay so it was it was a show and it was basically they would pick a player usually a bigger name guy and they would just follow him around for 36 hours and like day in the life type of show 30 minute show and so they did one on on Kyle Beckerman when i was out there and like it was pretty cool like he took them fly fishing in the Provo River in utah and, Cause like that's something that he really likes to do and like sort of went behind the scenes and developed character. Right. And like, so those are some of the things that you're talking about. I think there are some, you know, so I think it would benefit MLS to, to get back in with a broadcaster like that. Does that partner exist? I don't know. Right. And if it doesn't, I think it would benefit MLS to start doing to, to do more of that from their own in-house MLS digital team. Right. They do some of it now, but they've cut that area. Since the pandemic, like pretty significantly, so that's that's part of this whole equation as well. Um, to your point, though, I do want to address this further about would MLS do like a Netflix like show? I think they absolutely would. Well, they did but the LAFC
2: any- ESPN Plus show, but it's a, some of it is about what you're willing, what warts are you willing to show, right? There's a 100%, difference between 100%. Sunderland till I die and the Amazon Man City show, right? Yeah,
1: and, and a lot of that, Paul, is not a league thing; it's a club thing right? Like, so it's certain clubs are going to be more open in certain ways than others. And certain PR departments are cooler with that stuff than others and certain ownership groups and club presidents and so on and so forth. And where the league can step in is the league can say, no, you're going to do this, you know, and they can really kind of push. Um, But end of the day, Don Garber works for the ownership groups, right? (laughs) So does he want to use a bullet on something like that? If it's just going to be on ESPN plus and Realistically, it's not going to get promoted that much, and maybe not that many people are going to watch it. I don't know. If it's on HBO, right, who just signed a deal to broadcast U.S. soccer games, HBO and Turner, then maybe it's a little bit of a different story because you probably have wider reach. Maybe you know what they do with hard knocks. You've seen that. They have a track record, all of those things. But uh, I don't know, man. It's a difficult problem. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know how you solve it. Sam, one last thing, one last thing, regret. real quick. NBC was, from what I understand, the last time around, they were they were involved in bidding for the MLS rights. They offered less money than ESPN and Fox were willing to offer. But in exchange, they were going to do more of that MLS 36 type stuff, more of the pregame. They were going to have better you know, shoulder programming than ESPN and Fox had. MLS went with the money. Fair play, right? That's certainly within their rights. I totally understand. Um, but I do wonder uh, over the long term, I wonder what the delta was, what the difference was between the two. But I also wonder if they would have been better served taking a few less million and and going with the better content to really drive those stories. Well, I think Of course I say that. NBC Sports Network, not even a network anymore. So right.
2: Well, I think one thing is worth noting which is some of this is going to be solved simply by time. The younger generations, our generation and and younger than us has grown up with the sport and grown up with an understanding of MLS as well and a knowledge of the sport and a knowledge of MLS. And so when eventually people who are our age are sitting in the chairs of PTI, more of us, and sitting in the chairs of around the horn, we're already seeing it happen, right? You see the younger generations on Levitard Show who are fans of MLS and the U.S. national team. Broadcasters. Broadcasters MLS. who are starting to be bigger fans of soccer and understanding it more. That matters, because the conversation changes when people know what they're talking about and aren't outright dismissive. It hasn't changed all the way yet, but it is changing. And, and on the print side, I've always been, you know, my argument has always been when the, that younger generation, when, when those people who care about soccer, who know soccer, who understand soccer, are sitting in the decision makers' chairs as sports editors and managing editors then those decisions about soccer coverage will change. You know, I, I used to, I remember when I was at the Orlando Sentinel, my wife is from Chicago. We were trying to move back here where I live now. And I went and interviewed, or tried to interview with the Chicago Tribune. I was essentially trying to sell myself to the Chicago Tribune to cover soccer. Same company,
1: right? Sentinel Same is the company. company.
2: They yeah. knew how much money I was making. You know, I was just like, look, I can do more for the Tribune company from Chicago. Like, let me cover the fire, but hey, maybe even a national job for Tribune newspapers. And I kept making this pitch and their point to me was, well, look at our soccer numbers. They don't come close to anyone else. And I used to say to the Tribune, what soccer coverage do you, what numbers? You don't have a full-time beat reporter. You don't have any coverage. You you write small blurbs off of games that you pull from wires and rewrite. Of course you don't have numbers. If you don't provide a product the people who are looking for coverage of that product are not going to come to you. And so the numbers will never be there. And I think we've shown that with the athletic, putting together a real team that's covered American soccer nationally with a group of eight reporters. And Canadian Paul. And Canadian too. With <laughs> and nine sometimes reporters, Mexican, if we talk about that. But like there is an audience and and we've proven that at The Athletic in a different model, right? It's a subscription model versus caring about clicks. But some of that is on these media companies to recognize that you have to serve the audience in order for that audience to come to your site. And that we've seen that with women's sports. We've seen it with soccer coverage. And when those groups are given that coverage, then the audience is responsive. So it's not just an MLS problem. And and again, I sympathize as do you Sam that it's it's difficult to justify budget when the numbers don't
1: say you should you should do it. This is funny. I laugh because I think a lot of people that work for the league or maybe that own teams in the league would listen to what we're talking about right now and say it's difficult to justify increasing spending given our revenue and what we're putting out too, but that's what everything in this show ends up coming back to, right? It's the chicken or the egg. It's the same thing for media companies and how they cover soccer as it is for major league soccer and how it conducts its business. And, and, and it's betting and it's gambling on, hey, if we put more into this, we think we'll get the ROI. And oh man, I don't know if, if anyone's really gone all in, like all the way. Like, I don't think MLS really has all the way. No, but Sam, our point that that we've been
2: making recently is it doesn't need to be that much of an increased investment. It's it's changing the way you put money into the team. Yeah,
1: and I think, Paul, I think that would make an impact. But if you really want to become something huge, you would have to increase the investment. And I think we both know that, right? Like, so... Yeah, I think it would change. I think you could make it better. I think you could improve things. I think you could catch Mexico and pass Mexico if you, if you tweaked it without even changing the spending. Just spread it out, as we've talked about a million times. But if you really want to jump like all the way, you got to increase the spending. You have to. And I get why they haven't. I get why they're hesitant. I mean, they have increased it. I shouldn't say they haven't. But I get why they haven't gotten to that level. Because, again, how can you justify it with the revenues?
2: It's just become a difficult equation for MLS because there was a belief for a long time that the growing soccer soccer audience would start to tune into their domestic leagues. And we see it in markets, right? You see Atlanta, you see Charlotte, Cincinnati, even Portland, Seattle, LAFC, people coming to games. And you expect, okay, that growth is going to start to show itself in these TV numbers. But the problem is... As the sport has grown, so has access to other leagues, and that and that's where people are tuning in.
1: Yeah, so MLS does really well on a local level in a lot of these markets, right? The ones you just rattled off. People come to the games because it's fun, and it, you get you get to see something live, and you get to support your hometown team, right? But they don't care about NYCFC playing the LA Galaxy when they're living in Seattle or Atlanta or Charlotte, right? And and that's the that's been the problem for the league since I've really been in it, which has been. Damn near 15 years now, which is wild to say, but you know, and I, I don't think they're much closer to solving that problem than they were 15 years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, and you see, you do see when you can compel people for for non soccer reasons to watch, the numbers are there, right? People weren't tuning in to LA Galaxy was LAFC on. to watch. <laughs> we need more was Zlatan, tropico, <laughs> right? They were they were tuning in to watch Zlatan. He was compelling. He was all over the media. Yeah. He was only saying wild Zlatan, things. Freddie People weren't tuning in to watch DC United play soccer. They were tuning in to see the hype of Freddie Adu that had been sold and told and talked about and written about and discussed all over the place. It's you know the problem. You can't is, manufa- You can't manufacture that exactly. Though. The problem is how do you how do you increase conversation outside of soccer to compel people to watch you? And and this is not just an MLS thing. Again, you you see the debate even in our industry about what espn and fox and other networks have turned to kind of more of a sports radio idea i
1: mean i mean embrace debate and you know first baseball, take and all of that stuff nhl they suffer from the same problem it's on a bigger scale right they have a higher base but but they suffer from the same problem of of getting local fans to turn into national games and i mean i don't know i don't know how you solve it
2: i wonder too sam and
1: this would be my if last we did no Paul, we would be much richer than we are right now. I don't now. know about
2: that, but I, I will say, my last point on this is: I I wonder, Sam, to an extent, like people tune into game when they do tune into national television for for whatever sport it is. Like if the Yankees are playing the Red Sox, like people tend to watch that game more, even if they don't have
1: a reason. Only, so, only sort of, man. Like, the, and this is what MLS would say: is that all other leagues ratings are down except NFL and and ml and MLS. They're stagnant in MLS.
2: I mean, look at look at the coverage around the NFL, right? There's nothing that happens in the NFL that isn't headline news. You have, but you can all say the same for the NBA avenues. I I just wonder whether, like, I wonder whether, like, when Golden State was Golden State, right? Like, people were watching them every game because they were the most dominant
1: team in the NBA. Well, sort of. I, I mean, a lot of people were, but a lot of people weren't because those games were starting at ten thirty Eastern time.
2: Yeah, I just wonder. I just wonder whether you know more dominant teams like. W- could that be sold as well? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think you know? that's
1: part of it. That's a story. When you go back to creating a character, it's not just individual players. Right. It's individual teams, too. And, and I, this is where competitive balance and parity, I think, hurts MLS because you can't create a Patriots. You can't create uh, a Warriors, to your point, or a Yankees or you know, so on and so forth when the champion is different every year and the rapids can go from worst to first and a random collection of of 14-year-olds and 30-year-olds can can win the league from Philadelphia and credit to all of these teams by the way no slight on any of them but it's harder to create narratives for sure so uh, i don't know man it's a real like dilemma starting...
2: it's a real dilemma i think about it all the time man i think the, about the the second point of my thing which is how do you change the attitude of media companies it directly impacts us,
1: right? I don't we, know. We
2: are the people who are trying to tell these <laughs> stories. So obviously it has an impact on our own careers.
1: You just you just believe in Paul and Sam. That's but what you do. How
2: do you convince media companies to put that investment in and say, hey, if you let us tell these stories, we think it will help your audiences. It's a tough sell. It's yeah. a tough sell. But I, it's a problem I think about all that's probably daily, if I'm being honest. It's a problem I daily? think about daily. Yeah.
1: Right now, at least. Yeah, well, we don't need to get into that, but I feel like we're starting to talk in, in circles a little bit. So let's, let's take a break. We'll come back after with a, with a little grab bag, rifle through a few different topics on
0: the other side. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
3: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we're back, and we're back. Allocation disorder. I'm Sam Stasekel.
1: He's Paul Tenorio. Talking to you from a thir- on a Thursday afternoon. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this, like when I'm hosting a drive time radio program, but whatever, we're in it now. Just embrace it. Um, Paul threw me off in the break by doing some bizarre DC United chant um, out of nowhere. But it's not I a tried chant. to get him to. It's, I tried to get him to recreate it, but he he wasn't. As
2: a it. as a young person going to DC United games, when they would introduce a the young team, lad, that's what he would say. You know, what would bilingual. he say? Tell the people. DCU It just reminded me of my dad every time I went to D. <laughs> so they would end it with uniter, not yeah. united. Yeah, he just he never got to that hard D, you know? Wow. <laughs> I did not mean to say that.
1: Phrasing. <laughs>
2: Oh, oh, man. okay how does this show always go off the rails in the third segment even when we record at, in daytime
1: i don't man, understand i don't know but that might be one of my favorite moments in the history of the show i will not be <laughs> clipping that part of the show but i will be 100 <laughs> um regardless I, what were you even going to talk about I i'm don't thrown know. now now i'm just totally thrown off i'm blushing uh, how do we go from that to MLS intra league transfers? What is the segue? I don't think there is one. I, I'm not going to attempt to make one. There are pitfalls. There are there are Let's holes everywhere for me to pivot. fall into. Let's just oh, pivot. There, I just fell into one. Maybe. Anyway, MLS in- internal transfer market. We talked at length about the <laughs> anonymous team employee survey that we did uh, last week, um, and that was our basically our entire show last week, if I if I recall correctly. Um, But one element that we did not really discuss, which I think we should have, probably an oversight on our part, Paul, um, was the idea of an MLS internal transfer market. Obviously, there is player movement within MLS. There are loans, and then there are trades. um, But those cannot be completed for cash money. Uh, They can only be completed completed with allocation money or draft picks or other players and so on and so forth. You know the deal. Um, It's strange that there isn't an internal transfer market um, every other league in the world has one. It's a real way that every other league in the world generates, or clubs within other leagues in the world generate revenue. I guess it's a net zero <laughs> for the league as a whole. Uh, but I think it would be an interesting thing for MLS to look into. And I think every employee that we talked to, every executive that we talked to, was like strongly in favor. It was of, twenty-one of doing
2: it. unanimous. Strongly worded answers of yes, this needs to happen. And, you know, there may be some small hurdles to get through, including how you handle sales within single entity, but that right. it is quite legal,
1: doable, potential hurdles. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and some like little details, right? Like that right now, when you trade a player within the league, you avoid having to pay any sell on fees if the player came with a, a sell on fee. But, you know, that's not a huge deal. A lot of these players that would be, you know, what percentage of players would have a sell-on fee? What percentage of sales would reach the level where you'd say, okay, let's do this as a sale instead of a trade? You know, if you really wanted to avoid a sell-on fee, you could figure out what the difference needed to be to, to, to justify what well, Would trades still
1: exist in this world? I think so. Okay.
2: I don't know. I mean, <laughs> regardless, <laughs> I, they, I they think could, that there are you know? a lot of GMs who feel like, If you're going to encourage us to fully embrace models in which we lean into the domestic market and lean into budget building and operating within the constraints of Major League Soccer, then you need to provide more avenues to reward our ownership for where those investments pay off. There is one avenue now that we see that revenue starting to come in and that's through the the sale of players abroad. But why are you closing off this other avenue for revenue for our owners that that can directly impact our on-field product, our ability to win and will make our owners happy because not only can they sell, not only is Dallas benefiting or Philadelphia benefiting from selling homegrowns, but maybe Colorado benefits a little bit more from selling Jonathan Lewis, or maybe RSL sell, is able to benefit more by selling Albert Rusnak for cash instead of letting him leave as a free agent. These are the places where you know there is there is a chance to reward teams and 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 drive revenue that that it's closed
1: right now. Yeah, and, and I and I think uh, some of the theoretical arguments against would be, oh, this would allow the richer teams to pull further ahead of the poorer teams or the lower-budget teams, right? And I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah, maybe Mark McKenzie doesn't go to Belgium. Maybe Atlanta buys him for $6 million, right? And that would make Atlanta better, and it would make Philadelphia theoretically worse. But they could take that money and reinvest it in the squad, A. And and B, a team in that Philadelphia level of spend, right? They could go out and buy a DP from another big-market team. Right? Maybe, I don't know, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head, but let's say there's a situation where <laughs> Gio Dos Santos, for instance, is, um, is your fourth designated player <laughs> and you need to get one off your roster. But you can't really trade him within the league, there are hurdles, it's weird, but you could sell him within MLS and then that other MLS team, they know what they're getting to a degree of certainty far greater than they would if they're buying a player from Argentina or Europe, they, the guy knows the league, he knows the country, he knows what living here is like, the adjustment's a lot less, and presumably he'll be able to hit the ground running a lot quicker, right? So so it can work in reverse. You can increase the degree of certainty for big signings, for maybe lower budget teams, you can open up another stream of revenue for every club, um, and and you can, by the way, maybe keep some talent in the league that might be walking away under the current rules.
2: Yeah, I mean and you can flip that even from non-established stars and say okay, you know, maybe maybe the Chicago Fire don't want to sell Gaga Slonina or trade got Ga- they would never trade Gaga Slonina for 2 million in allocation money. No. But, you know, maybe LAFCs searched for a goalkeeper for so long and they needed to find a solution and they say, "Okay, we're going to buy that kid from you for 8 million dollars. And he's going to be our goalkeeper for the future and we think we could sell him in a few years for 12. We'll give you a slight S- small sell-on and we'll pay you right now for him. You know, that avenue and that that money might help Chicago right now today if they needed it, you know, as an example of a homegrown. Maybe it's Dallas with Jesus Ferreira or Paxton call You know, maybe RSL looks at Paxton call and says, you are going to be our new, you're going to be our, our new DP. We're losing Krylock and we're going to bring you in as a DP. They can't even have that discussion because there's no way Dallas considers anything tradable as enough value to actually move that kid and yeah. so the only solution is to sell them abroad and lose them to your point why close off the avenue of keeping some of these players in the league maybe u.s national team fans wouldn't be the happiest people in the world and, well
1: some of these guys will want to go right sure. particularly the and, younger ones sure. they will want to go test themselves in europe but like the 27 year old right like you know maybe maybe you can keep a few more of those around maybe it opens up some new possibilities some new avenues for teams
2: it just opens the business. And I think a lot of GMs mentioned it starts to set the market for players. You start to to kind of create more of a market and valuations on players within the league that help to set the market abroad as well. Right now, the, the, the sales are so... Even even after the increased number of sales of this offseason, there's so few places and numbers to point to um, that you can't really fully set the market. The prices can can go up and down this would help to kind of create that marketplace a little bit more and, and put real valuations on some of those mid-level players um, that maybe helps you when you're selling a guy like a, a Richie Larea or something like
0: that.
1: Yeah. And I think that, I think that about covers that subject for the most part, but I would be curious to see if it, if it gets implemented. Most of the executives that I spoke to, Paul, I don't know if this was your same experience. Most of them thought that it would be. It's definitely something that the CSOs are pushing hard for with the league office. So we'll see um, if they're able to roll that out here sometime in the next year, two, three. And and quickly, I'd
2: say that like things tend to move kind of slowly in MLS with these types of changes. But I know that this is something that's been debated and fought for and argued for, for, I think this is like the third year in a row that that I've been hearing about it. So it's not like it's, it's a new idea. This is something that's been debated and discussed for a while now, which, which I think gives it a chance to actually happen
1: kind of in the near term. Yeah, we'll see. I think there will be some legal hurdles that they have to clear, which could delay that process. But who knows? Um, moving on, let's talk about some on-field stuff, just kind of reflections from the first two opening weeks of MLS. Uh, a big one is certainly Austin. Another big one is uh, are the LA Galaxy, uh, two of the four and 2-0 teams in the league. Um, another big one is Charlotte, the the new kids on the block, off to a difficult start. Lost 3-0 at D.C. in their opener in a match which they were better than a 3-0 defeat would indicate. They got relatively unlucky in that game, in my opinion. Um, came home, huge crowd, almost 75,000 for their inaugural match at Bank of America Stadium. Lost 1-0 to the Galaxy, and that score was flattering. They were outshot 21-5. to uh, They didn't really create much of anything, and the Galaxy had... They could have easily won by two, three, four goals had they done a better job of burying chances and had Christian Kalina not made a few nice saves for Charlotte. I wrote a piece about them that published on Wednesday at The Athletic, just kind of detailing some of the issues that they've had, sort of ignoring previous MLS expansion successes and failures and trying to go their own way and making a lot of mistakes, in my opinion, um, and in the opinion of a lot of people that I've spoken to. So check that one out. Um, Paul, any impressions on Charlotte or anything else?
2: No, I think you covered the bases in your story on Charlotte. It's it's frustrating, honestly, to see things go poorly in a build when you have 75,000 people showing up because it's not going to be sustainable if you're not good. And, you know, I was in the citrus bowl for 63,000 people for Orlando the city opener and uh you know <laughs> when they and they they kept some some good amount of fans and i think you do that to try to make sure you have 40,000 in the stands. Yeah. Going and Charlotte forward, not has
1: 23,000 season ticket holders. Right. So
2: and, you'll have a yeah. decent base, but then look at what Orlando City's crowds looked like 2 years ago. You know, it's not great. They weren't even filling their their smaller stadium. So winning matters and putting together a good team and entertaining team matters and i thought Charlotte had the opportunity to be an Atlanta-like market and now i think it'll be not that. You know, we'll see where it ends up. Um, as yeah. far as my other impressions, you know, I, I think Red Bull stands out to me, you know, especially because... What a,
1: what a weird club. It's we just such a weird that? club.
2: I mean, Gerhard Struber coming out and just being so down on the roster. Kevin Thelwell, Kevin Thelwell, Thelwell leaving? leaving? Yeah, going to like, Everton. Like three days before the start of the season. And there were there clearly was conflict happening internally there, just based on a kind of from our public view. And I yet...
1: Mean, I've heard that there was conflict between those two. Yeah, yeah.
2: And and here we see a two and zero start, and you see guys that were acquired this offseason having making the impact, or acquired over the last two two seasons. You know, Lewis Morgan with a hat trick, Frankie Amaya playing much better now. Patrick Kamalo, Kamala. I thought was has been been decent for them you know, they have some, they have some decent pieces. So I'm interested to see, maybe my prediction was just a year early, Sam. Oh, don't.
1: Okay. And Minnesota <laughs> had a three-year plan. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been yeah. my favorite. But By, by the way,
1: just like, all those people getting in my mentions, and I shouldn't make it seem like there's so many of them, it's just like three of you, Um, but like, Minnesota's three-year plan, they were, yeah, they planned to be terrible their first two seasons and then make the playoffs in year three. Spare me. Like, no, no. That that's just like a nice little narrative that they spun, and credit to them for spinning it. It's clearly worked, but like no, they they were terrible, and it was they were not terrible on purpose. Like it was give not me a by break. design.
2: Well, it was by design in a way, but it wasn't by choice.
1: The one thing that I will give them credit for is they did not lock themselves into contracts, and so they were able to rebuild out of it relatively quickly. Charlotte, um, by the way, a lot of long. Contracts guaranteed down there. So might not be the same situation. More Cincinnati-esque. Yeah, I mean they do have some room. They have some DP spots, some U-22 spots, but they don't have international spots really. So that's gonna be And they don't have intra league sales. So Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um not off to a great start. Austin, Paul. They are off to a great start. They've played two not so great teams, but they have dominated five to five zero and five one. In their first two matches against Cincy and Miami, both home games, Sebastian Driussi looks like an MVP candidate. Uh, really good player. Miami tried to get him once upon a time, so a little bit of have, an extra twist of the night knife with what he did to them over the weekend. But Josh Wolf has those guys playing some good soccer. I'm curious to see what it looks like when they actually play a team that's competent. Um, but you know, I th- they were a team that I think both of us thought could make a jump this year, and and so far so very good you know? I,
2: I think they did a really nice job of seeing what went wrong adjusting and fixing i've always been a big and they had a good base they
1: had yeah, a decent they, had, they base. had decent
2: players and i always feel i've said this many times on this show before that january transfer window after your expansion season is the is so crucial if you take advantage of it to, to course correct where you need to to add to the places that you identified as being weak spots because you're going to have weak spots in the roster whether it's depth whether it's starters can you make those adjustments? I think Austin did a fantastic
1: job of pivoting in year 2 and we've seen I mean I mean they really they pivoted last summer. Yeah, because well, their you... their roster much like Charlotte's at the beginning was pretty incomplete, you know. I don't think it was a pivot in the summer, but well, I do think it's pivot, been a but... pivot
2: in the winter. They 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 moved on a DP, right? They moved they moved Pochettino out. They they um they went and found some places that they needed to to fortify and they did that. You know, I, I just think it but was But
1: they got they got Drew UC last summer and that's the important point Yeah,
2: but that that wasn't important. that was a that was still the build going on. Like I my point is just like that January window after your expansion season, if you if you truly embrace it and truly get after it as an expansion team can be so critical. You have to be willing to own your mistakes, to put your hand up yeah. a little bit. And like NYCFC I thought did a nice job of it after their expansion season and you know, I think Austin is maybe Kind of close to them. They didn't the make that many
1: moves, though. They really didn't.
2: Yeah, but it doesn't matter if you're moving a DP on after one year. Like a willingness to do that, it takes it takes a little bit of something, you know. NYCFC kind of similar. They moved on their coach after a year, and 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 it's not easy to do that. But to say this isn't working and we're going to change it right away, it doesn't always work. By the way, right? <laughs> like it doesn't always work out. You can do it in a wrong way. I always point to Orlando because I covered that team. You know, they ended up with Phil Rollins as their GM the January after their expansion window and went from 44 points their first year and never had 44 points again until last year. So you can make 20 had. Yeah. Well, they they would have, they 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 would have, but they didn't. But you, 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 you can, you can make changes in a wrong way as well. Um, But I, I just, I credit to Austin. They didn't have to do a lot, but they identified a couple areas that, that could lift the team and they had some good pieces in place.
1: Does, does their turnaround give you hope for Charlotte, Paul? No.
3: (laughs) I mean,
2: yeah, I I shouldn't say that. Yeah. I mean, change, change is necessary sometimes. And we'll see. I mean, Charlotte still has the summer window to your point. They have Mm -hmm. these DP spots. They have these U22 spots. They have no international spots. They've spent $750,000 to acquire as many as they could. There there's wiggle room, but you know, when you look at contract situations, it's a tougher path probably, but yeah. who knows?
1: Yeah. They could get out of it.
2: They could sure. get out of it. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that they're they're stuck. They're not in a Miami situation where you're looking at it and you're saying, you can get out of this in the short term, but it's taking your lumps for one season, which we talked about last year. We're seeing evidence of it this year that you you can clear the decks, but you have to know what this year is going to look like because of that. But that gives you the freedom to go and really truly build next year. I don't think Charlotte's in that position. They have a little bit more space to to adjust.
1: Yeah. Other teams that have stood out to me in a positive way, Galaxy, they have not been overwhelming by any means in either of their first two games, but both wins, one against a tough opponent in NYC, one in a difficult environment in Charlotte. Um, and the fact that they've gotten two shutouts is really important to me. This is a team that's bled goals for a number of years now. If they can figure it out and just be average or decent in the back, then I think they'll they'll make a good amount of noise. L A F C has stood out in a pretty good way. Obviously, their first week they were pretty dominant. Um, you know, they should have won against Portland. Credit to the Timbers for finding a way to get a result in that game and nearly stealing all three points. Um, but I thought the performance was was pretty good for the most part. We'll see what. Carlos Vela's injury extent looks like. And then who am I forgetting? I had somebody that I was about to shout out. Nashville. More of the same from them, but they're going to be good again this year.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I went to the Chicago Fire game against Orlando City. That was rough. Uh, somebody somebody actually messaged me. And they were listening to Allocation Disorder and heard me say that I was going to that game as that game was happening. And they they texted me to apologize for me being at that game. Just... Not great soccer. Um, <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> but you know what? You know what though? Orlando City I predicted would have a slow start. They have some really good pieces. Araujo as their number six, really good player. Yeah. A I lot mean, of they good four,
1: four points through two games. It's a lot
2: of good Araujo. One on,
1: one on home, one on the road. It's Araujo's
2: really in MLS. Araujo and Araujo.
1: Yeah. Thank but, you for doing that. I can't do that name. I I don't know why I can't do the Portuguese pronunciation. <laughs> Araujo. 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 Maybe that's it.
2: Um, Chicago, I'm a little bit down on after watching that game. I think they, they have more work to do than I thought from the off season. Um, but to be fair, Hira is not here yet. Federico Navarro for some reason is on the bench. So there are, there are, there's help coming, but, um, they're going to, they're going to need it. I think.
1: All right. Let's close it out with a prediction. By the time we record this next week, maybe all four of the second legs in CCL will have been played. Saunders and Leon, I believe, play on Thursday night. So maybe we'll record af- after or during that game. How many MLS teams make the semifinals, Paul? Three. Three? So yeah. Montreal, the one that doesn't? Yeah. I agree. All right. Sorry, Montreal. Great city. We Great should- city. Great city. That's it. This episode's been brought to you by the city of Montreal. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam. He is Paul. Uh, and, uh, yeah, never forget what he said at the beginning of this segment.